0: Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, um, hey, uh, I think we all know why we're here. Um, I, many of us have been to an Easter service like this before, and maybe you grew up going to church, and this is your Easter tradition, and you come to church dressed in your pastels and your nicest clothes, and you celebrate spring, which doesn't really exist in San Francisco. Uh, But uh, we are all here this morning celebrating a resurrected Savior. Uh, The fact that we serve a God who is not dead and hanging out in a grave somewhere and, you know, people have been telling stories about him for thousands of years, but there he sits and you can go to his tombstone and you can see where he's living like Buddha and some of the other religions of the world. We're here this morning because we understand that our God was the only one in history to both prophesy and perform his own resurrection and he's not dead today. He is alive and he is active and he is moving in the lives of people. And uh, I, I think most of us in the room are probably familiar with the story Uh, We know that Jesus left heaven, and he was born of a virgin, and he lived on the planet for 33 years. He endured every temptation that we would face, uh, everything that we would walk through in this side of of eternity, he endured, and he was victorious over it, and then at 33 years old, he gave his life on a cross to pay the price for our freedom and our forgiveness and our salvation, but he didn't stay in the grave. He got out of it three days later, and that's why we're in the room today. There's your recap. I'm sorry if I, I spoiled the story, you know, before we got too far into the sermon, but I think we all kind of understand that. And so I thought it would be fun here on our first ever Easter service, not to just rehash a story that many of us have heard a few times before, uh, but to consider the weight and the gravity of that story and make it a little bit personal. Let me ask you this morning, as you, as you gather in Easter, uh, on Easter Sunday, the, the story of Jesus's death, his burial, and his resurrection, is it a story that you just consider maybe during the spring once a year when the calendar tells you it's time to consider it and you come to church? Or, or has that story become very personal to you? Has it affected the way you live every single day of your life? You know, I love today that we got to celebrate with these three people who were baptized in water. And we get to celebrate the fact that they have this resurrection life now that they've come to Jesus. And I love doing this every weekend because what we see is we see God's story collide with their story. And suddenly this is not just some historic account contained in leather-bound pages in a Bible, but it becomes the story that is written on their heart and the story that begins to govern their everyday life and the story that has radically transformed the way they perceive this side of eternity and the hope that they have for the future. It's become very personal to them to the point where it has affected their life. I bet you if you sat down with any one of these three today, if you said, "Emery, t- tell me about you know, this, this, this story with Jesus and how he resurrected from the dead... She wouldn't say, oh, you know, it's a religious tradition that I kind of visit once a year. No, it has so radically affected her life that it has changed the way she sees this world and the way she lives in it. We have a a vision statement here at the Father's House, and it governs everything we do. It's the plumb line. It's the focus. It's the lens. And you probably saw it on the sign when you walked in, or if you've been to our website, it's right there on the front page. And it says this, the Father's House exists. The reason we're here is to see people discover life in Jesus. That is why we're on the planet. That's why we're parked here on the corner of 19th and Sloat. That's why God brought us into this community, because there are people in this area All south of here down the peninsula in the Sunset District up into the Richmond and beyond to the east side of the city who desperately need to experience the life, the resurrection life that is only found in Jesus a life of purpose, a life of fulfillment, a life of joy that is not predicated on your circumstance, a life that isn't necessarily free of pain, but one that brings purpose to your pain. That kind of life is available to every single person in this room and beyond the doors of this room to every avenue and every street beyond here. And Jesus is holding out an invitation saying, will you come and experience the life that is available in me? And today, as we gather in this setting, my prayer and my hope would be is if you have not yet experienced that kind of life, if you wouldn't be able to say, truthfully, I've experienced the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, that you would tune in and you would focus and you would allow the God's story to collide with your story this morning, that this would become very personal to you and that you'd leave this place transformed. So uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Or the coffin in the room. Um, So someone recently passed away in our church, and their family could only make it today, and we just thought, I'm just kidding. No, (laughs) I'm just messing with you. Why why do we have a coffin on stage uh, for Easter? Well, there's a purpose for this. Um, Every single one of us in the room have some days. Uh, The the some days of our life, the someday I'm going to go to that place, Someday I'm going to see that nation. Someday I'm going to go on that vacation. Someday I'm going to eat at that restaurant. Someday I'm going to get married. Someday I'm going to buy the Tesla. We all have some days in our life. Uh, But I would imagine that if we all sat down in pairs of twos or threes, begin to have some conversation about the deeper issues of life, that as those surface some days begin to fade away, there would be some some days that, that maybe we don't talk about very often, but they are lodged deep there in our hearts. Someday I'm going to be happy. Someday I'm going to find joy. Someday I'm going to get free of this addiction. Someday I'm going to experience life a little differently than I'm experiencing it right now. Someday my life is going to have meaning. Someday it's going to have purpose. But the problem is for many of us, we end up here with a long list of unresolved Sundays, things that we never get to walk into. We, we are alive, but we're not really living. We are breathing, but we're not experiencing the fullness of life that God has available for us. One author uh, put it like this, uh, Les Brown, he said, the graveyard is the richest place on earth because it is here that you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, and the songs that were never sung. I often picture this scenario, and I don't know if it's theologically accurate or not, but it's, it helps me live life to the fullest. But the Bible says that all of us are gonna give an account for our life. One day we're gonna stand before Jesus and we're gonna tell him how we lived on this side of eternity. And I picture myself often standing before Jesus and giving an account for the life that I'm living. And somewhere in the conversation, he looks at me and he says, hey, would you like to see what could have been if you had just been a little more surrendered, if you had just had a little more faith, if you'd taken a little more risk? And I get to witness this DVD of opportunities that I missed and relationships I could have been involved in if if I had just trusted Jesus a little bit more. And the thought of missing out on life the thought of missing out on what God has for me here on earth, it petrifies me. It, it's been said that, that one of humanity's greatest fears is the fear of death. I'm not afraid of dying. I understand that today, if I die and I breathe my last, God's going to take care of my family. He's going to take care of my kids. And the moment I breathe my last here on earth, I'm going to see him in heaven. And I'm going to look him face to face. And I'm going to enter into the joy that's been set before me. Death does not scare me in the slightest. But the idea of living on this planet without truly experiencing the fullness of what God has for me, that petrifies me. The thought that there are greater opportunities, that there are greater things for me to walk into, greater promises that I've yet to lay hold of, and they're mine for the taking, if I just take him at his word, I wanna live that kind of life. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Philippians chapter three. He said, I've made it the aim of my life to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He he brought me in for a reason. He bought me at a price and I want to lay hold of every drop of what he has for me here on earth. That's the kind of life that I want to live here. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us want to live that kind of life. We all want everything that God has for us. And the beauty of it is it's available to us by invitation. This morning, Jesus lays it out and he says, I have resurrection life. I have a fulfilling life available to you. Will you lay hold of it? Because listen, God's desire is not that any of us would end up here with a whole bunch of unresolved some days, but that we would experience life to the fullest, as he says. An abundant, fulfilling, joy-filled life. Yes, here on earth, not holding out someday for heaven when this all disappears. Can I hear a baby amen on an Easter morning? So here's what I'd like uh, to do over the next couple of moments. I'm gonna unpack a scripture for us and I'm gonna try to do my best to help you out and wrap your head around this idea of laying hold of resurrection life. And I believe by the Holy Spirit today, if you're tuned in, if you're not here to just check a box and say you came to church on Easter, but you're tuned into what the Holy Spirit's saying, I think you can leave this place changed this morning, transformed, and this could be an Easter that would be a line in the sand for you and you'd say, I'm never going back to the way I was before. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into this. But let's open up our hearts to see what Jesus would say to us today. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for resurrecting from the grave. We thank you that today, as we sit in this room, we can celebrate a God that is not dead, but one that is alive and still moving in our midst. I thank you for the stories that we heard a few moments ago, but even more so, I thank you that you are going to begin to rewrite stories here this morning in our midst. No one here is here by accident. However they got here, an invitation, a a bus ad, or they just walked in off the street, or they were looking for a home church, you knew every name that would be represented in this room today, and you drew them by your spirit. You said that the Holy Spirit draws men unto you, and I pray that today, as you've drawn them into the room, that you would begin to transform their hearts before they leave this place. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. If you like to take notes and you're into that sort of thing, we're going to call this sermon Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell. Um, If you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to the book of John chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, fear not. Uh, We're gonna put this on the screen. Um, But for those of us who have been a part of the Father's House for a little bit, you will remember a few weeks ago, we had a guest in town with us, uh, Pastor Bianca Olta from uh, the Father's House Orange County. And she preached from this passage of Scripture about Lazarus. And uh, my disclaimer is, uh, I already had this written before she ever showed up here. But uh, also, this is a completely different sermon. But We're going to look at the same uh, passages of Scripture. And I want to draw a thought out of here. This may not seem very Easter-y, but it is going to display the resurrection life of Jesus this morning. So here's the framework for John chapter 11. 11, Jesus has just gotten word that his friend Lazarus is sick and is probably going to die. Uh, some messengers have come from Bethany and they said, Jesus, you better hurry up and make your way to Bethany. We know you're a healer. We know you can fix this situation. If you come, you can heal Lazarus. But if not, there's a good chance he's not going to make it. And instead of rushing to his friend's aid, Jesus stays where he's at a little longer than he should, a few extra days. And behold, his friend Lazarus does, in fact, kick the bucket. He dies. Uh, And as Jesus is approaching, he is met by Martha, one of the sisters of Lazarus. And uh, we'll pick up in John chapter 11, verse 17. It says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Now, the story goes on to tell us that Jesus does, in fact, go to his friend Lazarus, who's been buried in a grave for four days, and he resurrects his dead friend, and the crowd goes wild, and people applaud, and it's awesome. But I want to focus in just on these last three verses, 23 through 25, because I want to draw some thoughts out of this that I think are going to help us this morning. It says, Jesus told her, your brother's going to rise again. Yeah, she said, he'll rise when everybody else rises on the last day. But Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Let me ask you this morning. Um, how many of you here today would say that you are impatient people? You, you have a problem with patience. You can be honest. It's church. Okay, it's fine. Okay. No, we're, we're all on the same team here. Uh, the I hate to wait, the I want it now, daddy, like those kinds of people. I fall into the impatient category yeah, I, I know that one of the fruits of the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, is patience. Uh, it is slightly underdeveloped in my life, and I'm willing to admit that as a pastor. Um, I hate waiting. Waiting is not my thing. Have you ever had this moment where uh, you make a phone call to a restaurant, and somebody picks up the phone, and uh, they make that assumptive statement without giving you a chance to answer, and they're like, hi, thank you for calling, can you hold, please? And then they don't wait for you to respond, they just immediately put you on hold. I just want to rush in, no, you know, just really quick, and just no, and see what happens, but I hate waiting on hold because you're there for minutes and you're trying to make a reservation. Or or have you ever had this? You've been sitting at a red light and it turns green and you're behind a car in front of you. And that person just decides to sit there, even though the light is green. And despite your best effort to remind them gently with your horn uh, that it's time to proceed, they let the light cycle and then they just stay there. I hate driving behind slow people and stupid people. Like, I just don't like, I don't like waiting there. But for me, the, 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 my least favorite place to wait is in lines. I know that um, the ladies' bathroom is traditionally a little bit longer than the men's, but like, I hate waiting in the bathroom line. I hate waiting at the DMV. And I think my, my least favorite line to wait in, and this is probably going to sound bad because it's supposed to be a happy place, is at an amusement park. I hate waiting in line after I've paid $175,000 to hang out <laughs> for a day and then I stand in lines and get sunburnt all day. It is the worst. I remember years ago, my wife and I, we were at um, uh, a Disneyland and uh, we went without our children because we're grown adults and we can do what we want to do with our lives. And uh, we showed up to Disneyland and I hadn't been in a really long time. And the last time I'd gone was before the days of Fast Passes. So when we showed up, I discovered the true magic of Disney, which is the Fast Pass, which if you're new to this and you've never been there before, let me enlighten you a little bit. Basically, when you show up to a ride at Disney, they've got these little mile markers that tell you how long you have to wait before you make your way to the the ride. And if it says 45 minutes or 90 minutes or two and a half hours or probably tomorrow or whatever it says on the mile markers, (laughs) Uh, You can go to this little machine called a fast pass machine, and you can swipe your little pass that you used to get into the park, and it will give you a card that tells you to come back in a certain predetermined window of time where you don't have to wait in the normal line with everybody else. You can go to an expedited fast pass line and ditch all the suckers that are waiting there in line. So we worked that fast pass system as best we could. We made our way onto almost every ride in a matter of like six or seven hours. It was amazing. Uh, but there was one ride that we were not able to get a fast pass for because they don't let you stack them up. You have to use your passes before you can get a new one. And the one ride that we decided to wait for and, and, and endure the line was my wife's favor- uh, favorite ride, Indiana Jones, the best ride in Disneyland, hands down. You're welcome. Okay. So we show up to Indiana Jones, and we're standing in the line, and it's like a 90-minute wait to get to the front. And, uh, you know, they do their best to keep you entertained along the way with, like, you know, little stuff in the line. And you just are like, okay, this is stupid. This kid behind me is screaming. I hate my life. But, you know, I'm waiting in line. It's, it's whatever. So we're watching all the fast pass people scream by us with smiles on their faces as they wave to us. And they go by. And I'm offering people money to buy their fast passes from them. And <laughs> no one's letting me do so. And we get to the front of the line, and as we step onto this ride after waiting for like 90 minutes, uh, there's a couple that gets on the ride behind us. But then right before the ride takes off, the ride operator is approached by someone wearing a white collared shirt, a checkered vest, some nice blue slacks, and a little badge that says VIP tour host. And he walks up to the ride operator and he says, hey, uh, (laughs) whispers something in his ear. And so the ride operator comes over to the ride and he talks to the people behind us and he says, I'm sorry, I'm going to need you to disembark. Um, We have another family that's going to be making their way onto this ride. You guys can catch the next carriage. I'm like, this is weird. Okay. So his family gets on and then the ride takes off and we go about our business and we come back and the little metal bar pops up, and I'm like, okay, that was really awesome. I need to find out what that was all about. Well, just about the time I'm going to ask the question, the little vest guy looks back at the ride operator, and he says, hey, we're going to run it again. Just leave him on here. We're going to run it again. I'm like, who is this guy? has all the power at Disney. So they put the, the things back on us, and We ride the ride a second time. Apparently, there's like a second version of Indiana Jones where you don't see the same thing twice. And so we went back and we saw it a little bit differently. And then we came back and we got off the ride. So at this point, I'm like frustrated and pumped out of my mind at the same time. I'm like, how did this family get this kind of treatment? And, you know, how do I get that kind of treatment? So I asked uh, the the guys were walking out. I'm like, hey, what's Vest Boy's deal? How did he get this family on the ride? And they said, well, uh, at Disney, we do offer something called a VIP experience. And the VIP experience is available for purchase. And if you'd like to spend your entire life savings, uh, (laughs) you can buy a tour guide and that tour guide will give you a predetermined list of rides and you choose which ones you want to get on. And they will take you past the Fast Pass line, past the regular line, and you can immediately get on to any single ride you want at Disneyland. And I'm like, before I die, that's a bucket list item from now on. (laughs) So fast forward a year later, we're in Disney World. It is my wife's 30th birthday which also happens to fall on mother's day so it is a very momentous day and i think to myself i'd like to empty my savings account this is the moment <laughs> so i buy the vip experience for my wife and i and my two little daughters at disney world and it was a game changer <laughs> we walk up at 8 30 all the suckers are waiting in line trying to buy their passes I'm like waving to people as I go by. I'm like, oh, we have our own entrance over here. So we walk in the side of the park. We sit down at the table with our tour guide. We're eating like waffles and, you know, drinking mimosas and just like celebrating the fact that we're not like the rest of the plebeians out there waiting in line. And all day long, we just skip past every line. We got in the front and when we didn't want to walk somewhere to another one of the parks in Disney World. They literally had a van waiting for us like behind the scenes with cold water and snacks. And it was the best thing ever. I highly recommend it. You should go. (laughs) But I want you to imagine something with me. Um, I want you to imagine that if after I had invested all that time and all of that money to have this VIP experience at Disney World, if I had paid the price, charted the course, made every available way for us not to wait in any line, what if, when I walked up to Disney World that morning, as the tour guide was ready to take us past the first regular line into the front, if I looked at him and said, you know what, um, I, think, I think I'm just going to stand in, in the regular line with everybody else. I, I, I know that the price has been paid, and, and I know that you've made a way where I don't have to do this, but I'm going to choose... To stay here and delay the joy, the opportunity, the possibility, because that just feels like the right thing to do right now. That would be absolutely absurd. If something that significant had been made available to me, of course I'm going to lay hold of that opportunity. And I'm going to make my way to the expedited front of the line to experience what's already been paid for. Well, that is the tension that I think many of us find ourselves in right now. That is the tension of this conversation between Martha and Jesus. As Jesus approaches Bethany and we get a glimpse into this conversation that I don't think is restricted to this story. But it's a conversation that I think humanity and and Jesus have been involved in for quite some time now. He shows up, and Martha comes up to him, and she says, Jesus, uh, my brother's dead. And and, and if you had been here when you said you were coming, you said this wasn't going to end in death, and yet here you show up four days later, he's dead, he's already been buried in the grave. If you had been here, things would have been a little bit differently. And Jesus looks at her, and he says, Don't worry, this sickness will not end in death. Yeah, but he's dead. And then he says, you know, don't worry, he'll, he'll rise again. It'll be fine. And you can almost feel like the deflated, like, response of Martha. She goes, you're right, yeah, he will. He'll, he'll rise again. I'm sorry. When everybody else rises, someday. Later on, when, when everybody else gets to experience it, you're right, he, he's going to rise again. But then Jesus looks back at Martha and he looks back at you and he looks back at me and he makes this incredible statement. He says, no, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. You don't understand who is standing in front of you right now. You don't understand who just declared he's not gonna stay there. No, I am the resurrection and the life. And as long as I am here on the scene, as long as I am showing up, then it doesn't matter how much death has already begun to settle in. No, anyone who believes in me is going to live even after dying. Martha, you don't understand what I'm laying down here. I'm giving you a promise that you can cling to. You don't have to wait for someday. You don't have to wait for a day when everybody else gets to experience the same thing. When you are standing in front of the resurrection life, someday becomes today, and you get to experience life right now. And this is the dialogue that I think humanity has been involved in for centuries now. We're holding out for someday, alive but not really living, thinking that, okay, well, one day it's all going to sort itself out, but I guess this is my lot in life for now. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just endure a little bit longer. Sorry if this makes you uncomfortable. Some, someday, someday I'll find joy. Someday I'll, I'll find freedom. Someday my life will actually matter. Someday I won't think about ending my life prematurely. Someday my marriage is going to get fixed, or maybe, maybe it'll just end. Please hurry up and end so I can try this thing out again. Someday... Someday I'm going to feel like what I'm doing really matters or maybe there's hope beyond today. Someday I'll find all of that. But for now, this is where I live. I'm alive but not living. I'm breathing but I'm not really experiencing resurrection life. I'm alive in a grave. And, And I think this is where so many people live. I think there are so many people that live life surrounded by death. Buying into the thought that this is as good as it's going to get for me. But but let me appeal to you this morning on Easter 2019. This is not where you were created to live life from. This is not where it ends for you. You. This is not where you have to exist until someday you finally croak and then maybe when you make it into heaven, all the garbage you're dealing with here on earth is finally going to get sorted out and you'll get to see Jesus and you'll find reprieve. Yes, we live in a tired earth and yes, our bodies are failing us and we do have the hope of heaven. But the last time I checked, the Bible gave us permission to call heaven to earth and to begin to live in resurrection life, not one day, but two days. And if you find yourself this morning alive in a grave and buying into a hopeless existence, here is my prophecy to you. Jesus has the ability to bring life even into your grave. To make even this kind of an existence come alive. Let me prove it to you. Two weeks after Jesus has this conversation with Martha and uh, he, he resurrects his friend Lazarus. He finds himself being handed over to the Roman government. And as he's handed over to the Roman government, again, we know the story. He's given a crown of thorns. He's mocked. He's beaten beyond recognition. They tear out his beard. They give him 39 lashes on his back and all of it for a purpose. We talked about it last weekend. And ultimately, he's, he is nailed to a cross and there he suffers for a few hours. But the gospel writer Matthew who recounts this experience of the crucifixion, he includes a couple of details that are rather miraculous in Jesus' dying moments. He says as Jesus begins to breathe his last, and he calls out that word that Seth mentioned at the beginning this morning, tetelestai, it is finished, that the earth responds in some rather peculiar ways. And I want you to see this, Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. It says, Then Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Coming out of the graves after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and they appeared to many people. Follow me for a moment. I have read that scripture A few hundred times, probably at this point. And here's how I've always read it Jesus gave up his spirit. He cried out, it is finished. And when he did, there was an earthquake, the earth went dark, the graves opened, people came back to life, and they went into the city, and they appeared to many people. That's how I've read it. And you're like, isn't that what it said? No, that's not what it said. What it said is that when Jesus declared it was finished, the earth shook, the rocks split apart, the tombs of many people were opened. And the dead came back to life. But it wasn't until his resurrection that they got out of their graves and they went into the city and they appeared to many people. Follow me here for a moment because this is mind boggling to me. Jesus dies and he's in a grave for three days. And when he gives up his spirit, life makes its way into the tomb, into the coffin, and into the grave. But those who had received the life that was found in his death were still restricted to their same surroundings. It wasn't until... I'm going to get Pentecostal here on a Sunday morning. It wasn't until Jesus himself resurrected... That resurrection life met the graves and those who had received the life found in his death were able to finally come up out of their grave and begin to live in new life. It is one thing to identify with the forgiveness of the cross. And I am grateful for the fact that my sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. But he did not just die so that I could be forgiven of sin. He, he actually resurrected to brand new life three days later so that I did not have to stay in a cycle of sin. And I didn't have to stay in the grave, but I could resurrect just as he did. And I could begin to live the resurrection life that he has called me to live. You were not designed to do life from the grave. You were not designed to just suffer through this planet until you see Jesus one day. There is a purpose. There is joy. There is fulfillment. There is healing. There is something greater than what you're facing today. And it is available because he came out of the grave. There is resurrection life available to all of us. Do not spend an unnecessarily long season in the grave. Know today that even if you feel dead, he will meet you here and resurrect you to new life. How is that, Pastor Tim? How how do I experience this life? Well, it's simple. It's the title of the sermon. You need to be saved by the bell. No, I, I, wait what <laughs> cause see when I say "Say by the Bell here's where most of our heads go that amazing 90's sitcom with everybody's heartthrob crush Kelly and uh, Zach and Slater with that incredible curly mullet that no one was able to master like him it's alright cause I'm Saved by the Bell great song um But you would be surprised, maybe not, to discover that they did not, in fact, create that phrase. I know, shocker. That phrase actually finds its origin in a much more morbid legend. Yes, even more morbid than the morbid existence of a high school. As the legend goes, back in the 1500s, London was running out of space in their graveyards. And as they were running out of space in their graveyards, they came up with a solution because they still needed a place to honor those who had died. And so... Uh, they decided to exhume the bodies from the graves that were existing in the graveyards, and they created something called bonehouses, and bonehouses where uh, you could go as a family member to visit the bones of your, uh, your beloved that had passed away, and you could pay your respects there year after year. But we needed to clear out a little bit of space in the graveyard. And so they would dig out these uh, people who'd been buried in the graveyards, and they would uh, move their bones to the bonehouses. Well, they discovered, as they were taking these bodies out of the coffins, that one in 25 of the people they had buried had scratch marks on the inside of their coffins. Meaning, before modern medicine and understanding comas and, you know, lead poisoning, all of that stuff, people were actually being buried alive and nobody knew it. And so, obviously, panic spread all throughout London. Like, yo, they could bury you alive. Like, just don't die. It's going to be So they came up with a solution that would allow those who may potentially be buried alive to be rescued from the grave. Uh, If you were placed inside of a coffin, they would tie a bell to a string, and that string would make its way down into your coffin, and they would attach a rope to your wrist. And if you woke up somewhere in your grave and discovered that you had been buried alive, at the moment you begin to move, A bell would begin to ring on the ground surface, and somebody working the graveyard shift, which is where the term was coined, would quickly have to run over to your grave and begin to dig you out so that this was not your permanent existence. You were saved by the bell. Now, permit me to become a cheesy preacher for two moments if I could. I think that there's a lot of people that find themselves scratching at their spiritual coffin, trying to figure out how to rescue themselves, how to dig themselves out of the situation they find themselves in. And honestly, there's a lot of people that just get buried alive. They're alive but not living. They're breathing but they're not experiencing resurrection life. But here's what you need to understand today. If you have been buried alive, if you are scratching and attempting to rescue yourself to no avail, you need to know that you serve a God this morning that at the faintest whisper of your voice, at the faintest cry of a bell, he will come rushing to your gravesite and he will begin to dig you up and get you out of the grave. You serve a God that still works. Come on, the graveyard shift. Hallelujah, we're getting cheesy right now. And he is surveying the room today saying, is there anybody who would just cry out to me? Is there anybody that would say, I'm sick of living this way and I need a resurrection life? At the mention of his name, at the utterance of your voice, he's coming to your aid. He's coming to your rescue. This is not where it ends for you. It's time to put death to death and truly begin to live in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.